السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ ویلکم ٹو دا ٹوکنگ دین پوڈکاسٹ آئی ایم یور ہوس ماجد اینڈ ٹوڈے آئی ہیو ود می برادر رش دا مین مین السلام علیکم اینڈ آلسو وی ریٹرن آف برادر عفی ہو واز ود اس ا فیو پوڈکاسٹس اگو ام ویلکم برادرز ٹو دا شو جزاک اللہ خیر السلام علیکم وعلیکم السلام وعلیکم السلام You know what, uh, to be honest with you, I think people have probably got fed up of us bringing up the same issue we do um, well, during Ramadan, which we have, is that uh, Ramadan has gone quick. So we're not going to go into that. But I would say that um, you know, last night was the 27th. Um, disclaimer, depending on when you started. But, you know, for us, it was the 27th. And, uh, you know, just uh, I, I make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if it was... the laylatul qadr that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts our efforts and our our duas and our actions and uh, that uh, you know we can maybe achieve his his pleasure and forgiveness in this month amen but how did you guys spend spend last night just a case of just tarawi reciting quran stuff like that Yeah, just try to maximize it being in Tarawee. Um, the the Salah is quicker a bit now because they got towards the end of the Quran. Are they going to finish tomorrow? Um, so, sorry, they're going to finish tonight. So, yeah, so obviously the shorter Surah is kicking in now, so it was a bit shorter. But at the same time, the Imam of the, the mosque, he raised this issue we're going to talk about today. So everybody sat for a good extra 10, 20 minutes whilst he gave some reasons for the importance of Al-Quds and things like that. So yeah, made the most of it in terms of being in the mosque and then coming home and trying to do a little bit extra. But I think I spent actually as much time on my phone messaging people and stuff to raise awareness about this issue as I did, you know, doing other things, which I think is just as important rather than being too insular and just thinking it's all, you know, just about reading Quran and reading um, extra Nawafil Salah and stuff. What's more important than raising the awareness of, of important issues that the Ummah is facing? So that's how I, I chose to use, use last night, really. Yeah, sure, man. Sure. Um, Afi? Yeah, I was just going to say uh, something uh, very similar to Rush. Uh, I think Ramadan... on many levels is just an amazing month uh, you know the reward side is one thing but you see a ch- you see a transformation in many many muslims in the sense that those barriers and those distractions that are preventing them from having certain conversations or thinking in a certain way are the rest of uh, in, during the rest of the year ramadan seems to be removed so you know it's amazing when we say shaitan is locked up because it just feels like that barrier of shaitan whispering in people's mm-hmm. ear and distracting them is just is just totally removed and you and it is an ideal opportunity while people are engaged thinking about the muslims thinking about them worshiping allah and the hereafter that we do capitalize on it and have those moments with people to try and shape their thinking the way that it needs to be just to keep it going beyond Ramadan. Mm-hmm. And I know we get this term thrown around all the time about, oh, so-and-so is a Ramadan Muslim or such-and-such is a Ramadan Muslim. Man, we're all Ramadan Muslims. We all do more during Ramadan. It's not a bad thing. What we need to do is capitalize on it to make sure that it just drives people beyond beyond the month yeah man i'm to, to be honest with you um i have my own theory about uh, why people get closer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the month of ramadan and um, 
and we know that uh, you know Shaitan's doing time in his prison with his with his crew. Um, but I think it's also, I think it's down to the fact that, you know, because everyone's doing it, this affects you. Now, and, and the reason why I bring this up, and a very quick point, because we want to get straight into the, the, the main topic today, um, is that if you think about it on a societal level, because people are doing it and you're in your communities and it's affecting you, yeah? Imagine now you're living in a, in, in, in a, in a society where it's built on Tawheed. It's built on worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in every matter, whether it's listening to the adhan, whether it's the transactions in the market, whichever way you look, whichever way you look, all you see is the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Would that not affect us? Of course it was. Of course it would. So what we see is that in the month of Ramadan, everyone's on it. But because people then sort of like fade away, and I don't mean that in a bad way, because then people get back to their, their own things, uh, and this is where the society always is, is, is the strongest faction because it will, it will di dictate what you do. And, and it's just a thought for, for all of us to think that, you know, if we were living in, in, in a true Islamic state where the, the rules of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala were being implemented, then think about it. Think about how easy it would be to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when there would be, so, be less distractions pulling you away. Whilst this society actually is pulling you towards all directions except the one which leads to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, so guys, let's get straight to the point. Today, the topic, you know, has to be about what's happening in Palestine, what's happening at Masjid al-Aqsa. Uh, this is something which, as Rush sort of alluded to, um, you know, messages left, right and center on WhatsApp, videos of Masjid al-Aqsa being stormed, Grenades being thrown into it, sound grenades, smoke grenades, you know, pictures of, of sisters, uh, probably women, uh, Muslim sisters who are uh, the, the age of, close to the age of our mothers, you know, being carried away with, with bloody faces. And everyone's been speaking about this. At the moment, this is the topic everyone is speaking about. So it's only fair that we speak about this topic today. And... Uh, I think, to be honest with you, it's important that we don't just speak about this topic, that we speak about this topic with our angle, because many people are pushing their own type of angle linked to this. And I'm sure this is something which we're going to discuss. Mm. So just in case, just in case there is someone who has been doing itikaf for the entire Ramadan, who has not had a phone, who has not had a TV, and has just stayed in the room and doesn't know what's happening, just for that one individual, we're going to explain, maybe just do a quick recap of what's been going on in the last couple of weeks. But the rush, tell us, bro, what's been happening? So, yeah, so I think maybe some people might be in, in Itikaf, so they may not know. So it is worth highlighting that. So I think it was on Friday night, it, it's been kicking off for about a week. So what's happening is that on Friday night it escalated. We saw attacks in the Masjid Al-Aqsa compound within the mosque where the brothers and sisters were praying Tarawih. And what we saw is, you know, like you said, smoke grenades, attacks, people being shot at with rubber bullets, metal inside, but rubber bullets and people being injured during Tarawih. 
and the videos are all over social media. So like you say, most people can go and have a look if they haven't seen them already. Basically, the, is, the Israelis, their aggression upon the Muslims there in order to basically co- cause all of these issues in terms of this holy month of Ramadan. You know, at the end of the day, this is a month of Ramadan. Muslims are praying Taraweeh, they're fasting, and this is the time they chose to attack Muslims in, in Islam's third holiest site and our first Qibla. Um, there is a backstory though, and I'll give a short version so we can discuss it because it, it wasn't just a, okay. Um, and there's also the, 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 the story that the Yehud and their, what they're trying to push as if it's some kind of clash, as if it was initiated by Muslims as well, which is completely incorrect. It was initiated by them. It was in, initiated by the Jews against Muslims. And it, the backstory is what's happening in Sheikh Zarrah, Jarrah, um, and it's and it's been happening for a number of years. But it's it's the forced um, removal of people from their homes, forced eviction from their homes, and and what's happening is that um, for a number of years they've been trying to get people out of their homes in East Jerusalem. In this in this area, um, and Israeli settlers are taking those homes, and this has been done via the courts as well, via the the Israeli Central Court. They are um, approving the decisions so that people can go in and take physically take um, the homes of Muslims, and not just sending settlers in to take those homes, but actually sending the IDF in with guns to evict people from their homes. So off the back of this, the Palestinians have been have been marching, peacefully marching to say that we're against this. This is uh, these are our homes. You're already occupying us. You're already kicking us out of our lands. You're already killing us. But on top of that, you're choosing to kick us out of these particular homes in in Sheikh Jarrah. Um, and off the back of this, then the tensions have heated. But then the the Israelis chose to attack the Al-Aqsa compound and Al-Aqsa mosques um, during the night of, of Friday of Ramadan. Okay, Jazakallah for that. I mean, that, 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 was, uh, that was actually a, a good recap of, of what was happened. And um, and the thing is, is as well, is, 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 is quite ironic if people don't know. Um, Sheikh Jarrah is actually, you know who is named after? It's named after Salahuddin Alayubi Rahimullah's physician position yeah i actually heard and, someone and posted that yeah that's right um i seen it on a post by uh brother mozambique and 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 obviously when did that happen that happened after the crusade after the uh the after, after al-aqsa al-quds was sort of retaken mm-hmm. um afi what's what's your thoughts on what's going on it's um It's it's an in, inevitable situation, and I think you know we just want to highlight the fact that this 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 situation has been going on for decades. Yeah, every year there seems to, or every day, every month there seems to be something else happening where the the Jews just aren't content with the persecution and oppression that they're putting on the on our brothers and sisters within Palestine. They just have to do more. And this is it's like this arrogance that they have about them. And this arrogance is fueled by a number of things. 
they themselves are cowards. We know that they're a cowardice nation, man. They are, they've got nothing about them. But they've got this arrogance about them, which is being fueled by the, uh, the incompetency, if you like, or the lack of action from us as Muslims mm. to do, do anything. They're being fueled by this arrogance that the Western world is on their side, regardless of what they do. You know, when it comes to oppression of someone else, the West will stand up. But when it comes to the oppression of Muslims, there is no standing up. They're happy and allowing it to happen. Um, and, you know, we've seen it uh, on uh, social media platforms where you highlight the hypocrisy. You just come out with a comment around about uh, what the IDF is doing and you will get censored. You know, you won't be allowed to say anything. But someone insults the Prophet Muhammad or, or accuses Muslims of being terrorists, etc. This is fine. This is allowed to happen. So this, the whole media apparatus, the non-Muslims, and in fact the uh, the institutions within the Muslim world are all allowing this to happen. So this this will continuously happen. And the shameful thing that I think that is happening is that the only line of defense for this is our brothers and sisters and the children in Palestine itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's an other political dimension that I think the audience need to be aware of because some of this is off the back of the fact that there was, there's supposed to be elections in Palestine. Yeah, and there's fear from the, from Netanyahu and from the Israelis that Hamas will take more, more seats than they expect at in you know during these elections um and obviously um uh, the, the palestinian authority as well they see that as as an issue as well so there is some there's a reason for the escalation as well to prevent those elections because they see that the the results of the elections won't be according to what they would prefer yes they have like a right wing majority in their you know, w within their political sphere, but at the same time, they recognize they won't quite get the results that they want. So part of this escalation, again, I highlight initiated by, by the Jews is to create this um, situation where Muslims already on the back foot will, can't move forward at all. And then just to back up Afi's point a little bit as well is how embarrassing is it that with all the capability we have as Muslims, the numbers that we have as Muslims, the armies we have as Muslims, the lands we have as Muslims, yet our sisters are on the front line. I, I feel embarrassed just to think about it. Um, our children, little kids, they're on the front line and our sisters are on the front line, yet what are our armies doing? What are our leaders doing? I know we can go more into that, but just thinking about it, Make, upsets me and makes me feel embarrassed yeah man and the, the, the thing is i think what i want to touch upon is something that uh afi said and I, I think what you what you're alluding to as well rash that afi mentioned the word inaction that the inaction has allowed these people to have so much arrogance that they know there will be no comeback i mean you could have for example just say you've got like a, you know a bully in the playground if he knows that the teachers are on his side, if he knows the other, you know, uh, he's, you know his, his crew is on his side, and even though he might be a weakening, but, that, but, but he feels he can just go and mess about with anyone and nothing will happen, even though he might go to someone who's actually, he knows is physically stronger than him. But it's because, A, 
the people are behind him from his side, but also the main authorities, the teachers and stuff are behind him. And the other kids know if we do some, we're the one that's going to get into trouble, right? Because of the hypocrisy. So you mentioned inaction, right? Now, you'll see a lot of messages, um, videos and stuff like that, but they've also been accompanied by other things, right? Mm. They've been accompanied by messages to do with uh, charity. They've been accompanied by um, messages to do with um, boycotting, messages to do with making dua. So some may argue that, in fact, the Muslims are doing something, right? Um, but in regards to the the actions that Muslims are doing, do you not think that um, if this was probably a different issue, if this was just, say, your, your daily life, just say your own personal life, right? And if you were doing something which uh, was not giving you the desired results, mm. right? You do it again. You'll probably do it again. You might do it again. But at some stage, right? At some stage, you're going to think, you know what? Either I need to stop doing this because it's a waste of time. And secondly, I need to look at what is it I need to be doing, right? Now, that's just that's just something which, as a human being, that's just logical. That's just rational, right? Uh, and I think there's even a saying or something that the, the create is something like the crazy thing is is doing the same thing and expecting a different result, something like that, right? So, what are your thoughts on 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 why is it that we as an ummah? I mean, those are obviously people like in Iraq, Syria, these places. I mean, the normal people, their, their lands are being devastated. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you create a scenario where people just think about their, their feeding themselves, they can't look beyond that. But generally, the, the rest of the Ummah, whether it's in the West, whether it's in North Africa, and these type, in the Gulf, these type of places, right? Why is it that we continue to do the same things, even though, I would say deep down, but I don't even think it's that deep, even though we know these things are not going to resolve the issue. Why, what's your thoughts on why are we continuously doing these things? Anyone? I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll start. I, th I think it's multifaceted. I think there's, there, there's a number of reasons why. I think there's, there's this, there's this uh, misconception about the weakness of the Ummah and the strength of Israel. Um, because of historical events like, you know, the bogus wars that took place by, you know, led by corrupt rulers who, you know, only had one objective. We can, we can talk about that. Um, you know, the biggie, I think, is that Muslim, amongst Muslims, this atmosphere has been created as to who does the responsibility lie with. And for some reason, I mean, you know, it, it started off, you, you're talking about these messages that came around. When this, uh, the issue with Al-Aqsa kicked off, you know, someone on one of the groups I was with kicked off and uh, sent a message and saying, oh, this is only because the, uh, the rulers are being cowards. And I replied back with him saying that, why are you putting the solution with these rulers? And it constantly needs, it seems like it's constantly like we're passing the book. The rulers are the ones who need to do something. And we know that these rulers are not going to do anything. They're supporting what's going on through their silence. Not only through their silence, 
through, um, you know, even their recognition and normalization of, uh, you know, what they, they, they want to do with Israel and trying to bring back, uh, you know, even allowing them to travel to, to and from their countries like, like their brothers. These rulers are never going to be the solution. And in fact, you know, we can even talk about why these rulers have been put into power is to subdue the Muslims, make them feel weak and make them think that there is no solution. We're just going to allow it to happen because that's what they're endorsing. So a lot of it, the, the, the reasons why it's happening is because as, a, as an ummah, we have allow, allowed ourselves to be suppressed intellectually and mentally, to be thinking the fact that we are weak and we can't do anything and that uh, but somehow all we can do is pray and do the war and automatically we're going to wake up one morning and this will be changed and it'll be, it'll be for the better. Mm. And, and I think... What we need is to give Muslims a reality check that unless we do something, unless we look to the solutions and see what solutions as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger told us, and then how do we implement this? This is going to carry on. And it's not just unique to Palestine. You know, you know, you know ever since we were kids, I can remember all these issues, Palestine, Bosnia, uh, Iran, Iraq, Muslims killing each other, Kuwait, Kashmir. Uh, you know, Kashmir, you know, and even in some cases, the Kofar are making Muslims fight each other. And even the Palestine, I think the Kofar are making us fight each other in a different way. Right, where in the past with the Gulf Wars, they physically made Muslims fight each other, and some areas of the world where there's sectarian violence make them fight each other. This time, they're making people fight each other in the sense that we're blaming the Muslims for the problem, as in the Muslims in Palestine. This is their fault. Why are they not? Why are they reacting? Or why are they throwing stones? Or why are you know the kids behaving in this way? And um, mm. even when the normalization talks were going on, you had these guys, you know, from various countries blaming the Palestinians for the situation, like it's their fault. Mm. And they're the only people defending, uh, defending the land that we should be defending. So I think Muslims, as Muslims, and it's harsh to say, and I put ourselves, us, in the same group, we need a reality check. We need to wake up, smell the coffee, as they say, understand the situation for what it is, and the fact that today is Palestine, and you know we're feeling pressure in Europe as well, so this isn't going to be, you know, we're, we're going to be next because what the Kufar want from the Muslims, they want us to leave Islam, accept their way of life. Palestine is part of that overall plan. And, you know, if we don't do anything about it, it's only going to get worse. You know yeah. what? I can tell you exactly why we're reacting the way that we are. I can get you tell you specifically the reason. What has happened is the Western modern concept of how change can occur has we've been indoctrinated by it you know in that in the current reality you know in the western world now after after the world wars after certain you know the way that the europe for example has been set up there's this mindset especially after some of the protests and things that previously happened in the likes of france there's a mindset now amongst the masses and take i'm not talking specifically muslims here there's a mindset that the only way to instigate change nowadays is peaceful protest. The only way to instigate change is signing a petition. The only way to help people is through dedicated charities. The only way to um, help people is to lobby your governments. The only way to help people is to go to the UN. These are, this is the Western way to, to subdue your masses and make them think they're working for change. 
If you let them do these things, and I think I named about five of those things there, if you think, if you make people re think that that's the only way they can initiate change, then those are the same things that the Muslims are coming up with. They've been subdued by the Western thought process of how to instigate change. But whereas in history, we see that these things have never been able to initiate some serious degree of change. These are just ways of making the masses think that they can change things. These are part of democracy. It's a, a way of holding democracy together because it makes the masses think, oh, if there's something I'm not happy with or if there's a leader I'm not happy with, I'll vote against him. I'll protest against him. I will sign a petition against him. But as we've seen in recent history, these do not work. And Muslims are coming forward with the same kind of options. I think as Afi's saying now is we need to take a step back we need to realize that these are not solutions that are going to solve our problems. The, the problem of Palestine is not good. To be fair, I don't think I've heard, nobody's messaged me about charity for Palestine. I think people are aware now that charity is not going to solve the issue of Palestine. However, as you said, Madge, the boycotting one, I have heard that. So people are saying, oh, we need to get back onto the boycotting um, bandwagon. But we know that doesn't work either. So to answer your question more directly, I think the reason people are coming forward and saying, look, we need to make du'a or we need to lobby our MPs and do these type of things is because that's the, they've been ingrained to think that's the way to instigate change. And we need mm -hmm. to break that. We need yeah, to make yeah. people realize that, look, that's not the way we instigate change. Let's look at the way the Prophet wasallam instigated change and let's go back to that. You know, another thing as well, which... which to me, it clearly highlights that all these solutions that people speak about, this is being directed from the top. This is not just people going off their own, you know, sitting at home, reflecting, contemplating on the situation and thinking, what shall we do? Shall I tell you why? Well, in my opinion, why is it that we can sit in a room with five, six people different people, Muslims, one person speaks about boycott, one person speaks about charities or whatever. Why is it that the actual solution is not part of the conversation? How is that possible? Not possible. Just think about it. It's different if you had a group of five people and one person was saying, no, no, this is the solution. But in our discussions, whatever we're doing, why is it? Do you think it's a coincidence that we will, we will, think on and, and contemplate and consider all different type of options and solutions except the actual, actual one solution. that is not coincidental that's something which we've been programmed we've been programmed and you know what happens you know when someone does does mention the right solution right they've actually added on to that not just that you won't talk about it is that when someone does people turn out, oh no the khilafa boys are here or uh, oh well you're not being realistic it's like wait a minute the only person that's actually uh, promoting the actual solution is the one that's not being realistic. realistic whilst all these other issues we're talking about I mean like I said you know what I received a message and there's a message going around one scholar a UK scholar and you know he obviously it pains it pains him to see what's happening in, in Al-Aqsa so he sent a voice note out saying you know we should all demand and we should all Go to our imams and say, you know, we want you to do uh, recite, uh, uh, mention Al-Aqsa in Qunuth, in Tarawi, right? Uh, 
So I mentioned on a group saying, okay, cool. But how about also asking, demanding, not asking, demanding our, our, uh, the Muslims, demanding our leaders or demanding the imams or the armies to actually go and liberate Al-Aqsa. Why is it that, you know, that's cool. We need to make dua, 100%. No one's saying you can't. But why is it that the actual solution, you know, even if you say that we're not strong enough yet, you know, at least you're acknowledging, mm. at least you're acknowledging the solution and you're acknowledging we're not, just say, just say, we're not strong enough yet, right? So we need to do these things in the meantime. We're not strong enough, but we need to work toward. But if you don't even mention the solution, how are people even going to build themselves towards mm. it? You know, someone trying to say. So that's why I think it's crazy that people can mention everything. And the charity one, bro, I mean, the Trawi hours last night. You know, a brother, there was a charity organization that was collecting uh, zakat and fidya and this sort of stuff, right? And then the brother, you know, made a bit of a, before the Tarawi Salah, he made a bit of a speech on the mic. And he said, what is more rewardable than uh, Laylatul Qadr, right? And he used a hadith about those who are at the frontier, on the, uh, uh, you know, on the frontier, but then linked it to charity. This hadith is talking about jihad. Maybe his intentions were different. That's how I understood it. So I'm going to give him the benefit of that and, and think that actually he might have meant something different and, and I've taken something different from it. But if he was trying to use a hadith to do with jihad and trying to say that we're on the frontier because we're going to give our zakat and, and fidya and stuff and it's going to end up in uh, Sheikh Jarrah or for the Muslims in Palestine. The thing is, look, charity is a solution to hunger. Right? Charity is not the solution for occupation. So if we're speaking about the solution, and let's just go straight into it, you know what I mean? And, and, and there's no holding back. The solution for Al-Aqsa, the solution for Palestine is jihad fi sabilillah, right? This is the methodology that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us, right? In, in taking Islam to other lands, but also to retake lands that have been taken, to fight uh, uh, whether it's a defensive battle or, or offensive. But nevertheless, nevertheless, Salahuddin al-Ayubi, Rahimahullah, we only speak about this, this man because of what he did. What did he do? Mm. He didn't go on a welfare program. You know what I'm trying to say? He didn't go and say, let me feed the people around this area or let me try to get access to the Muslims in uh, the walls of Jerusalem to feed them. And look, some people might think I'm being harsh, but I'm just saying it as it is. What did he do? They had problems at that time. He united the Muslims and he went and he took it by force. That land was taken by force. If it was taken by force, how can we, how do we think that is going to be given to us? Right? So when we're talking about the solution, brothers, we need to speak about the solution in the way that the solution is to take that land back mm. through the armies of jihad. Now, I will say there are steps and stages that will need to happen before this. Certainly, right? And we can speak about some of those. But let's not, you know, uh, pussyfoot around the issue. That is the solution. But okay, what the I want to do, one, one thing, one thing I want to I bring you on to the next thing is why, why and, and this I think will probably help us to try to understand A, the solution, but also understand how did we get here, right? So if I want to throw the question out to you guys, how did we get to the situation we are in today? 
how are we in this situation this ummah how is this how is this ummah in this situation anyone give me your thoughts um for me i think we can uh, list or we can pinpoint that our problems as an ummah started when the islamic state no longer existed ceased to exist i think if you look at uh, for example the palestinian issue and compare now to to when we did have a state like you gave the example you know salahuddin ayubi um, may allah be pleased with him uh, you know he uh, he his stance towards palestine was how can i be content or you know how can i sleep at night or how can food and water taste good taste good to me when palestine is in the hands of the crusaders mm-hmm. and so that he had that zeal and motivation to 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 take it back uh, with the sultan abdul hamid ii rahimallah you know um, when um, theodor herzl tried to buy palestine from him what was his what was his reaction it's not mine to give and i would rather be stabbed with a sword and be tortured wherever however you want to interpret this than to hand it to you even though he even went on to say that even though it's possible and and sorry he, he elaborated the fact that um, i would never allow land of the uh, the caliphate the islamic state to be separated even though he knew he even said that if the islamic state ceased to exist then the jews couldn't have this for free they'd be able to have this for free but he still refused to give it even though we can argue that the state was weak and since then we can establish the fact that there's been numerous nation states have been established the kuffar have created a number of uh, muslim countries given them their individual identity promoted nationalism that this is your primary identity now this is what you need to protect and since then since the ummah has become disjointed by various nations problem after problem has has emerged so for okay. me it's it's from that day that the islamic state ceased to exist and we have this new identity of muslim countries i'll add a diff- let me add a different angle to that as well so i agree in that obviously that was part of the downfall that meant that we couldn't protect ourselves anymore because that unity was lost the ability to um get your armed forces to go and aid the muslim cause in the way that it did in the past was lost to a degree but what i would say though is that's giving an excuse to some of the leaders of today because even though we recognize the actual solution comes via the actual islamic state and the actual armies of jihad that doesn't mean that today those people who hold the the shackles of our of our armies today that they can't do anything so whether it be erdogan in turkey whether it be imran khan in pakistan whether it be the arab lands and i know we don't expect especially the arab lands we don't expect anything from those leaders because they are the same leaders who sold out palestine and the muslim lands in the first place but even irrespective of that you have within your grasp the control of our armies if you do not send your armies or our armies to go and liberate and protect our sisters our brothers and protect our lands then you are the problem so we shouldn't give an excuse there we should say actually and i know neither of you are doing that i'm just making the point that whilst yes our problem started 
even before this, the collapse of the Khilafah, it started in terms of ourselves, not just to blame people who destroyed the Khilafah, but that we were to blame as well. You know, our thought was to blame as well and our decline was to blame. But putting all of that aside for a second, even to this day, that we don't need, you know, it's not that, okay, Madge, you mentioned we need to take certain steps to get to a point where there's some armed forces that can go into Palestine and liberate it, 100%. But that doesn't mean we have to wait for that. It, right now, we have Muslim armies, we have Muslim countries, we have Muslim leaders, we have some leaders that some of us even give credit to. Put aside the ones we don't give credit to. Those ones we give credit to, show some cojones and send out your armies and liberate Palestine. They're not as this is the problem is, is and I looked on social media because a lot of people are saying, okay, because Erdogan came out, for example, and called them a, a, a terror state and called called them out and he's said he's initiated various protocols he's getting in touch with the un he's carrying out certain procedures that you know the oic and all of these organizations getting them together to do something about palestine but and so some brothers have replied to you know tweets and things like that saying okay talk mm. is cheap you, we, you guys have been talking for years and, and this is someone we've been giving credibility to recently. You know, we give, give credit where credit is due. Yeah, we know what's happening in Turkey and some of the good work that's been done there. So credit where credit is due. However, now show, show, show some action. You have the capability, do something about it. We have the military capability, do something about it. And I'm not necessarily saying send your armies in, but show some strength. At least say, you know, that if you this does not stop, we will send in our armies. Where yeah. where is even the threat of of physical pressure? We don't see it. And this is this is part of the problem. So yes, the solution needs to come from the state, but that doesn't mean there's nothing can't be done today. What what I would say about that, to be honest with you, bro, is is if if I'm if I'm encouraging people to put responsibility on their rulers, right? The way I see it is we already mentioned that we we should have no expectation. Obviously, lead, some leaders are different. I mean, you got the the leaders in the Gulf and stuff like that, and and. And you know, there's absolutely no expectation of them at all, right? But generally, what, I, what I, my opinion is that if we're, if we're highlighting to Muslims that, look, the armed forces in your countries are more than capable of just putting, a, putting an end to this, right? To me, if I'm asking the people to put that pressure on their leadership, to me, to be honest with you, that's not for their leadership to do anything because they're not going to do anything. But that's for me to say to the people that look, these are these people, it's not just the it's not just the Zionists. These people are as as guilty as they are, mm. right? They have the capability. So if they're not doing it, there needs to be change. You know, someone trying to say, I don't expect these lot to do anything. You got to, you know, these are the same people. I mean, my message also, if anyone from Bahrain or Sudan or you know, uh UAE is listening to this, right? We know there's a massive disconnection between the people and the leadership, right? These are some of the nations that went out on this normalization rubbish, right? But the people on the ground certainly don't accept it. But nevertheless, when the Yahud are saying death to Arabs, they ain't saying death to Palestinians. They're saying death to Arabs, right? So 
what are you doing? And I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy because in these places, you raise your voice, you'll disappear. But nevertheless, when we're talking about expectations, I think what we need to do is within the ummah, there has to be, and I think it goes back to what Afi's point as well, is that the first point is to remove this mentality that these, you know, handful of, you know, six, seven, eight million, I don't know how many, how many people there are in uh, the occupied lands, right? That these, that these Zionists are mighty, that these Zionists are so strong that we can't do anything. First of all, is to demolish this, right? And second point is to highlight the, the capabilities of the Ummah, whether it's the fact that, you know, they have almost, you know, 2.5 million standing army, just the Arab lands, right? And about 5 million, if you include the reservists, the warships, the jet fighters, the strategic lands, to highlight all of these and say, listen, we are a sleeping giant. And then the third one would be, is to say that, look, we know you want to, we know you want change. We know Al-Aqsa is in your heart, right? But that change is that change that's needed means that we need to put all these resources into the hands of a sincere leadership that's going to actually go and deal with the problem. And I think those are things which we need to be speaking about. And look, it's a process, it's not gonna happen tomorrow. It's a process, but if you're not actually mentioning what we need to do and, and you're speaking about other things, how are we going? How are we, even though it may be a slow process, you're not even starting the process. And that's my problem. Yeah, much just to add to, add to that, um, I think the reason why I wanted to mention the collapse of the state as being the source of our problem sure. is because it's important to highlight to people that if we understand that as a result of that, all these problems exist, then it's easy to understand what the solution is. 100%, yeah. Yeah, so therefore, let's not waste our time with these petty solutions that aren't even solutions. They're not even doing anything. Going on a protest or a petition might make you feel better, but it will never change anything. It will not make the situation any better at all. It's not even going to help. So therefore, we need to stop thinking. And I think the Muslims... I'm not going to say that, you know, we, we can't, I mean, we never would say that they don't care. And that's why no, they're no. doing these actions. They care. That's why they're doing something. But unfortunately, the Western mentality is we want an instantaneous result. And where in the history of Islam has Allah given us an instantaneous result? Muslims have, throughout Islamic history, victory has come from struggle. Mm. And Allah tells us that you will be tested like the people before you. And, you know, a beautiful example comes to mind. Um, you know, and just want to highlight this to people that uh, there was a time where at the time of uh, when um, Umar ibn Khattab, when he was Khalif, and they were talking about the persecution that the Sahaba suffered at the hands of Quraysh mm. in Mecca. And uh, there was a Sahabi called Habab ibn Arath who came up to him, uh, came up, and it was his turn to share his persecution. And he didn't even say anything. He just lifted the shirt from his back. And and when you um, and when when his his back was shown, you could see holes in his back, and these holes were as a result of uh, the Quraysh in the in the the scorching desert putting burning rocks, and they're putting Habab al Arat on the rocks, and Habab al Arat said, you know, I could smell my skin burning. So the reason why I want to just given this example is Habab al Arat. Despite going through the persecution like this, came up to Muhammad 
my mother's son was um, sitting under a tree or something. I can't remember the exact. I think it might have been the Kaaba. by the Kaaba. By the Kaaba. And he asked Muhammad why don't you ask Allah for help? This is simple. He wasn't even asking for victory. He wasn't even asking to make situation better. He was just asking Muhammad to do to, to help. And Muhammad uh, the, the narration turns around, he, he, he got angry. And, and it was something along the lines of, oh, Habab, do you think you will be given victory without being tested? Do you think you're going to get Jannah without being tested like the people before you? And the people before you, they used to have their skins scraped off with metal combs. So the point I just want to make here, and we're not saying that we need to get involved in physical uh, struggle here and that we've got to face torture. The point here is just that no one is exempt from struggle. All we can do is stick to what Allah and his messenger have ordered us to do, and the victory will come because Allah has promised us victory. But the victory will not come without doing what Allah and his messenger have ordered us to do. And yes, working for to transform society is, it may seem like, well, what do we need to do in the here and the now? But it's what we need to do. It's what's going to solve the problem. Otherwise, mm -hmm. the persecution is just going to get, carry on. And for us, it's easy to say, yeah, look, you know, a petition or a march is, is all we can do in the meantime. But the ones who are suffering is just going to get worse. These videos that we see of uh, little uh, Zionist kids you know, uh, making fun and mocking our sisters who are in hijab and being arrogant to do this because the army is standing behind them and then the Arab rulers are standing behind them. This is going to carry on or get worse to the point where Palestine will not be ours any further. Mm. Al-Aqsa will not be ours and it'll be in the hands of the Kuffar. Which so far, the only resistance to this has been the Muslims in Palestine. And may Allah reward them for mm. their struggles. You know, when I see, mm. when I see what they are going through, on one hand, it hurts me, but on the other hand, you know, it gives you a little satisfaction, the fact that at least they're, they're trying to defend it despite the atrocities they're facing, and their reward will be Jannah. You know, they will they, they, they've got their excuse. Mm. We haven't got ours. Yeah, yeah 100%, man. And, and I think, the, I think look, the important point to mention here is, uh, like you said, we're living in a time now where people want instant, like you said, they want they just want you know they, if they do something they want to see the results sort of straight away mm. and i think what's important is that as muslims what we have to understand is there are processes that there are processes there are stages you look at the time of the you look at life of the messenger muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and how his dawah in mecca it had stages you look open any sira book it will tell you that there was a private culturing stage then there was like the interaction stage when he came out and the Sahaba came out in society. And then there was like a ruling stage, which, which happened in Medina. You look at uh, Salahuddin al-Ayyubi, rahimahullah, even Nuruddin Zengi, rahimahullah, before him, right? Mm. Uh, just say Salahuddin al-Ayyubi, he understood that, you know what? Uh, to liberate al-Aqsa, to liberate al-Quds, right? We can't do this at this moment in time because of a few factors. One of those factors is that we're not united. Our forces are all our strength is not united, right? And also is that there are leaders of a lot of these areas that neighbor neighbor the Crusader kingdoms who actually got ties with them, yeah, who are allies with them, right? So what did he do? He went on a mission. It took him a bit, a bit of time. You know, he consolidated the power. He unified Syria and Egypt. Their 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 forces, right? He removed those people who were the 
uh, colluders, yeah, if that's even the right word. Um, and then he went and at the Battle of Hittin, you know, he uh, dealt the Crusaders a severe blow and then he liberated uh, Al-Aqsa, right? Again, we're talking about uh, processes, we're talking about stages. But nevertheless, in all the time he was trying to uh, bring this unity and bring this strength together, he understood in his head what the objective was. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point that I want to make in this mm-hmm. podcast to everyone listening is look, change ain't going to happen overnight, but it's going to start when we actually unify our objective. When we, when we first appreciate the problem, appreciate the, the solution. And, and think about it, there's actually similarities. Look at time of Salahuddin Al-Ayubi, the Muslim armies, the Muslim forces, they were sort of like disunited. It's no coincidence that, uh, well, it could be a coincidence that the, the, what's happening now is sort of like aligns with the uh, anniversary of the Sykes-Picot Accords, which in 1916, in May 1916, was you know, a secret agreement between the British, the French, and the Russians, and the, the Italians, okay? And what was this? This was to draw lines in the Muslim lands. And what we saw then is these, this one large area where Muslims traveled freely became nation states, where Muslims to travel to the next area, which was just the same place, now needed a visa or whatever, right? They had passports, they had a constitution, they had their flag, they had their remembrance day, they had their armed forces day. And, and what we see today is the fact that you know, that's, this is the result. It's like there's a saying, I mean, there's a story, I don't know, authentic is, I think it's Napoleon, when he asked his generals, he put like a hat um, in the middle of a carpet. And he said, you know, can somebody get that hat without putting your foot on the carpet? And they couldn't do it. And then he showed them, he rolled the carpet off from his side and then, then he was there and he took the hat to show that, look, you can't just go straight for the hat. You need to make the situation there so that you can do this. Uh, you need to bring the you know lands into your areas, then you'll get the prize result. In the same way, Sykes Pico, you know, gave us all these nationalities and made us weak states, even though we have capability. So today, as Muslims, how can we try to uh, take lessons from Salahuddin Alayubi? First one is we reject these nation states. 100%. We reject these leaders as being the same, those leaders who are colluding with the crusaders. Mm-hmm. We say that, right? We tell Muslims that, you know, all our, all our armies, you know, it's not an army of Pakistan, an army of Morocco, an army. This is one force. This is what we must do. You understand? This is a process. This is what Salahuddin Ayyubi did and people before him and after him did. This is what we need to do, Right? If Salahuddin Al-Ayubi on day one, when he realized he needs to liberate Al-Quds, he really, and he looked around at the situation, he said, nah, man, this ain't happening. Then you know what? We wouldn't be talking about Salahuddin Al-Ayubi. Mm-hmm. He would have just been another general, like there were millions of generals maybe in the history of Islam, right? But he didn't. He had a plan and he put it to action. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to do, you know? And that's why we have to understand our history. We have to understand the problem. And only when you understand the problem can you start working towards a solution. And I think that's that's the key message that, I, for me anyway, that I want to give to people that if we continue down the course we are, 
then you know at the moment what's happening Sheikh uh, uh, Jarrah what this is an attempt to do is to remove the Muslims the Palestinian Muslims from East Jerusalem some of that Afi mentioned at the beginning these Yahud are so arrogant Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells in the Quran remember you know the, the story of the cow these people are so arrogant right that they're not even like content with thinking you know what we started off with nothing right here we are now Let's, let, let's be nice to these people. Maybe they'll accept us. Maybe they'll come to their senses that, look, uh, let's just have a Palestinian state with East Jerusalem as its capital, right? Let's be nice to them. Let's treat them with some respect, right? No, no. These people, right, are thinking we even want to kick them out of East Jerusalem because we want Jerusalem to be a Jewish capital of, uh, of Israel, right? If we don't do anything, yeah, I, that's going to even to add to that, this is where, you know, some of the neighboring places like Jordan and stuff like that, um, they have to recognize that Israel themselves, like you say, they're not, they don't want a two state solution. And on top of that, Israel will actually want more than that. There's a, something called the Greater Israel Project as well, where they want to take over the likes of J Jordan and stuff like that. Bro, all, the um, way to, all the way to uh, Saudi. Exactly. So these people, you know how they say, they think that, oh, okay, you know, that's their problem or let's think, let's come up with normalization and let's come up with a, a, a solution for the Palestinian people. You guys should actually look at what the, the ambitions of Israel and the Jews are. They, they're going to take you out if you allow this to continue. Yeah? yeah, so that's one thing. You know, um, in terms of the Sykes-Picot agreement, though, that you just mentioned, yeah, man. I think this is something really important that all Muslims should be aware of. But not because of, you know, sometimes people read about the Sykes-Picot agreement, you know, of, of the British and the French coming together, you know, over a drink, drawing lines in the sand of Muslims, dividing us into all these nation states. So people look at that and they, they feel animosity or they feel anger towards the colonialist <laughs> powers. There's this sentiment, isn't there? Oh, why did they split us up? But I don't think that animosity should be that way because they did that because they won, They were conspiring after winning the war. These were the spoils of war for them. Yeah, yeah they sure. want to split up their, the Muslim lands so the Muslims would no longer be strong and so that they could put their puppet rulers in those lands so they could control them. What we should question, and I think Afi touched on it briefly as well, what we should question is not why the British did it or that they did it or when it started, but the division is the, the, the cause of many of our problems today. So if we look at the Sykes-Picot agreement and we look at these borders, we look at those borders and go, they're not real, they're artificial. If we can really appreciate that these borders are artificial, then the next step is to go, well, if the borders are artificial, then these rulers that are upholding these lines are also artificial. artificial. Yeah. And then if there's any people within those lands that are still promoting this idea of national identity, these, these flags. And remember, the flags are all of a similar color, the flag of Arab revolt. So if people kind of uphold this, then, okay, I'm not saying intentionally, but if you are upholding this, then you're part of the problem. So these lands are artificial, these leaders are artificial, the people who uphold them are doing so either without knowing or in a sinister way, if you remove all of that, what do you get? 
you get unified Muslim land, unified resources, unified military, and then getting rid of the likes of, you know, dealing with the likes of the Yehud and liberating Palestine is just inevitable. Yeah, and, yeah. and I just want to add to Rush is that um, in any nation, the strongest force is the people itself. The most powerful force is the people itself. And throughout history, revolutions have occurred via the people, not by armies. Armies just do military coups, right? And just forcefully remove someone. But real change happens via the people. And there's enough examples throughout history where change has occurred by people unifying on a common thought. Mm. And in the Muslim world, there's been signs of this. And as soon as there's signs, the authorities try to clamp down on it, either by, um, by scaremongering or the secret police are out there looking for you, either by destroying livelihoods, by making it hard for people to earn money uh, and feed their families, or more sinister, by using so-called scholars to try and divert that attention as people are becoming more politicized and trying to unify to say, right, as, as a group, we're gonna to come together because thought-wise, people are aligned, mm. but they're just as individuals. And as soon as people try to come together and there's sincere people out there who are working for this, scholars pop up mm. and divert the attention saying, no, 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 you're focusing on the wrong thing. We've got to focus on this thing. And that takes people a step back. But be, and this is only happening because positive change is occurring. So people shouldn't think we are weak, uh, that this is going to take years. It's not, it's not difficult to do as long as it's what we want mm. to happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and that links, you know, when I mentioned those five things earlier on about the Western psyche of change. Mm. Well, in the past, when we want, when people wanted change, it was physical, it was revolutionary, it was people wanting, willing to be violent if they needed to be willing to, you know, go against authority. Today, you can't go against authority in the Western way of thinking. In, under democracy, if you want to change something, you can't go against authority. You need to work within the democratic framework. That's the only way to instigate change. But what you're highlighting is revolutionary change doesn't come through the power structures and the systems that are there. It happens regardless of that. And the West has encouraged it in the areas where it wants it to happen. Mm. You know, yeah. the former Soviet countries, the Arab Springs, yeah. you know, if it's possible to remove Mubarak this way, then why isn't it possible to remove Sisi and put an Islamic leadership in place? Exactly. Why isn't it possible to get rid of the South family in Saudi this way and uh, bring back, you know, put in a legitimate Islamic uh, person in charge to rule people and to lead people? It's a, it's, 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 they pick and choose when they want to apply it. But the word, the biggest thing is, is that they don't want Muslims to have this mentality that is possible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's the thing in it. If, if you're already, if, if mentally you're defeated, if mentally you're defeated, then, you know, you're not even going to try. And that's why what you're going to do is you're going to A, try those things, which you can actually immediately do. Mm. And actually it's a good point, Afi, because, we tend to do those things that are not just that we can immediately do, but they're those things that actually the authorities allow us to do. They allow us to do it because within, within their framework, the change will never happen because they'll yeah. never implement it. And, you know, you touched on Sykes-Pico, and I just want to highlight another thing about it, linked to these actions that people want us to do, is when I first started reading about Sykes-Pico, it was very, very clear, and people were openly saying that, you know, this, the, the, the instigators openly saying, 
we did this to carve up the Ottoman state. Mm-hmm. We wanted to remove the state, remove the Islamic state, break it up and take control of the world. So they openly admitted it. So that's the first thing. Secondly, what it also highlights is that when it comes to Islam and history talks to this as well, when it comes to Islam, the non-Muslims are united in their enmity for Islam and their desire to destroy it. Mm. So the fact that the British and the French were responsible for this, they openly admit it. They're proud to state that this is why it was done. The Belfort Declaration as well. They're proud that this is what we've done. And this is what I questioned a brother last night. I go, now you're asking me to sign a petition to go to these people and ask them, tell your child to stop doing this. You know, the analogy would be like me going to shaitan in the month, uh, you know, outside of Ramadan and say, don't leave me astray. Mm. What Muslims are doing is that they're going to these very people who are arrogant and still admit that we did this and we're glad that we did this. We created Israel and we're glad that we did and we're going to support it forever. You're asking them now, don't support it. Yeah. How does that well, make sense? They're the one who celebrated the centenary a couple of years ago with very much with a lot of exactly. pride. Exactly. And you're going to these same establishments to seek solutions for Palestine. It's, it's, it is actually borderline embarrassing, isn't it? But that, that's the mentality I don't understand. That, that honestly is a mentality where you've, you're willing to do that. Yeah, but, but you're not willing to do the. To, no, no, but I, I, I understand it because remember, majority of people, in general terms, majority of people are followers. Hmm. This is human nature. Human nature is that there's only a few people amongst a community that are leaders and are visionaries. The majority of people are followers, and especially in a generation of social media, social media instigates how we think, how we behave. So if something comes on TikTok saying, oh, the only way to help the brothers in Palestine is to sign this petition, is to lobby your governments, then the the masses are easily duped by that. That's not because they're insincere. That's because that the majority of people are followers. So now you have to step back and go, wait there. If the majority of people are followers, if the person who is leading is providing the incorrect solution, then everybody's going to go towards the incorrect solution. If the person who is the visionary, who is able to provide the correct solutions and say this is the correct solution and they get the airtime to do it, then the people will follow. So that's, what, that's why people fall into that trap. And that's why I don't blame them because they've been, that's just the way society works. What we need to do is make sure those people in positions of responsibility, like these scholars, these imams, we account them. We say you guys are in positions of responsibility. You need to propose the correct way to solve this problem. And then the people will follow you. The people won't follow us because they might see us as nobody. They'll follow you but, and you have the knowledge to give the correct solutions. Okay. I will say, though, let's not put everybody under the same bracket. There are people who are trying to get together and highlight this issue in a way where solutions are required without saying, oh, we need to lobby the governments, we need to go to the UN. And there are people who recognize that those establishments are part of the problem. So everybody doesn't fall under that whole criteria. And I think the response for this particular, you know, attack on on Alexa, there are people speaking out now that maybe in the past were just, you know, on the bandwagon and just, you know, raising awareness. There are people now going, you know what, we need to do something about it. They might not come to the right conclusion, 
but at least the emotion is there and the will to do something is there. So we should give credit to that. But then that's where people need to come into play and say, yes, you want to do something. This is what needs to be done. And Rashi, if I, if I could just add to that, I think, I think there's two parts to it. You're right, is those people who do have influence, they have a greater responsibility. But I think as individual Muslims, we also have a responsibility as well. And Islam, if understood correctly, has the potential to transform society like no other. And we've seen this from uh, how Islam transformed the uh, Arab uh, peninsula at the time of Muhammad You know, the, the, these people, you know, the Arabs at that time, they didn't care about anything. You know, they, they, they weren't bothered. You know, their, their way of life was backward. People used to laugh at them. You know, no one took them seriously. But, you know, with Islam, it transformed them from just being nobodies to try changing the average person into a thinker and a leader. Mm because they understood Islam, transformed them, you know, to the point whereby, you know, people are scared to question a scholar or say anything to a scholar when they've said something. People would query Muhammad Sallam on, actually, you know what, there might be a better way of doing things. Because Muhammad Sallam never claimed to be the expert on everything. So, you know, Salman al-Farsi, when uh, the Battle of the Trench, he's the one who gave the idea about the trench. People had the, the they had the nows, they had the intellect and, you know, they understood that we are all in this together and they worked and talked to the scholars and the leaders and Muhammad Sallam to say, let's, let's find the best way of doing this. Where you are leaded by revelation, we will accept and no one ever questioned it. And we will not question it. No one can question revelation. When it comes to the application, if there's a better way of doing, of applying the revelation, then let's find the best way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think, you know, you touched upon a point before as well, uh... Afi, when you talk about the fall of the state and all that, and I think Rash made a really good point on that, was the fact that it wasn't just because of the physical state, it was because of the, the level of how people understood Islam and the decline that set in. So what we, what we have to understand and, and the, me- the message that we have to also take away from this podcast is the fact that what we see is that when, as an ummah, we became weak in our understanding of Islam. The, when we went further from Islam, then we were like uh, like the hadith of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that you know we were like uh, the food on the dinner table. People just freely came, just took what they want, right? So the reverse is also applicable. That the only way the change is going to happen, and it's a process, is that we need to get closer to Islam. And what do we mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is not just a case of knowing about what Islam is and, and the five pillars and stuff like that. The main important point, the main important point is that we look at Islam as a criteria for all our problems. That we look to Islam for the solutions to all our problems. Now, that might start off with, how do I clean myself in the toilet? Okay. Then it might start off with, can I have a gold filling? Right. Then it might uh, start off with, you know, which chicken is halal? And it will extend. But then it's going to come to a stage where, how do I solve the occupation of Masjid al-Aqsa? How do I solve all these foreign troops in our lands? How do I solve poverty in the Muslim? Poverty in the 40% of the, of the Ummah is under 40% poverty line. 40% of the Ummah is under the poverty line. How is how, that possible when we have so much resources? 
How is it possible that we're under occupation when we've got X amount of soldiers? How is it possible that there's poverty when we have the natural resources? I.e., for every single problem, you will refer back to Islam for the solution. And that might start off with the small issues, like I said, but ultimately, when it gets to it, then when you look at the issue of Al-Qasa, you ain't going to contact your MP because Allah doesn't tell you to contact your MP. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells you what the solution is. And if you can't apply that particular solution at that moment, then you need to work towards bringing about that situation. As the principle is, whatever leads to a wajib, i.e. a fard, is a wajib. So if liberating Masjid al-Aqsa is obligatory, then having the means to do it is obligatory, yeah. and getting those means is obligatory. How are we playing our role in that? Now, it may well be, that we don't see the the end outcome, we don't see because you know me and Afi, you know, for uh, me and Afi traveled a lot in the Arab world, and we also always had this this mindset that we're not going to travel too much to the Laksa under occupation. I was like, listen, I can't be going there and seeing these Yahud and being frisked and stuff like. That. I just can't take it, right? But you know, last couple of years I've been thinking maybe I want to go because I can't see things changing in the meantime. But nevertheless, the point I'm making is that you might not see that change in your lifetime. But nevertheless, you're working towards it, right? And I think that's a very important point, brothers and sisters out there. We are Muslims. We have the Sharia. We have the Quran and the Sunnah, right? Let's look to it, not just for spiritual matters. Let's look to it towards solutions to all our problems. And that includes everything. And the problems we're facing as an ummah, this is included in that as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's one of the key points I want people to take away. That's what I understand as being. And that's something, is that someone in Sudan can do that? Someone in UK can do that? Someone in Canada can do that? This is not something which is impossible. Can we not learn our deen? Can we not study our deen? Can we not propagate it? Can we not become activists? Every single one of us. And in fact, us in the West, it's far easier for us. So how is it possible that those people that are under restrictions are doing this? Whilst we don't have this problem, yeah. and we're not doing this. Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people, I think that's a good kind of a protocol to work towards. You know, if we improve our understanding of Islam and work closer and closer to it, then we achieve that ultimate objective. I think what needs to happen is that we, we need to do that. But whilst doing that, you know, when these events occur, you know, the, the things like when things happen at Al-Aqsa and in Palestine, everything that happens to the Ummah is like a shock treatment. And especially when it happens in Palestine, Palestine is very dear to our heart. It's like if something happened to the Kaaba and something happened in Mecca or Medina, it would shock us. It has that shock treatment. So I think it's difficult to witness them, but it should wake us up to make sure that we accelerate this process. So we need to appreciate that, yes, we need to improve ourselves as Muslims and we need to make keep understanding what the solutions are from an Islamic point of view. But at the same time, what we need to appreciate is what are the problems that are stopping us? So yes, as an individual, I can go, okay, that's how the occupation of Palestine is resolved, or that's how I do a financial transaction. They're both part of the Sharia. They both have Sharia rules in how to deal with them. But when the things are happening, such as what's happening in Palestine, we should also think that the reason we can't solve that is because of the nation states, is because of the rulers, is because of um, how our lands are having democracy kind of forced down their throats. 
if we yeah. look at all of them together then we'll realize that okay that's what we need to get rid of and this is what we need to replace it with but just a positive note on that though is you remember you just said there's like a there was a decline yeah so the decline was happening decline was happening and when we got to this bottom they were able to take our state yeah the decline happened 100 over 100 years before that some say even more than that there was a yeah. decline happening in understanding islam and then our our protection our authority our state the uh, the uthmani khilafah it was destroyed yeah it was abolished but what has happened since then the decline hasn't carried on there has been a revival 100% there has been a revival and that revival has continued yes the the the, the kafir west and the enemies of islam are trying to detract it or steer it away so like you know it might go I'll go keep going up and then it might flat plateau for a bit but what it is doing overall it's still going up still going up so what i think what you're saying is we need to make sure that that revival continues because only when that revival gets back to a certain point and people both you know everything in their life is determined by islam including the political sphere not just the personal sphere sphere that's when there will be this mass mobilization and say wait mm -hmm. there a minute we can see where the problem is the problem is these borders the problem is these rulers and and then they will have that collective willpower and strength to say look this is how we solve the problem and it will culminate the two things will culminate together in terms of how we solve our personal issues with islam and therefore we'll solve our political issues with islam so i i agree with you the two things need to happen side by side well you know just just, just to add quickly after just a quick point i want to add and I'll come to you is uh, you mentioned um the fact that the things that these things happen and it's like a shockwave right mm. what we must do and it's very important and not just us, is everyone listening, is that when these shocks happen, what the, the problem isn't the shock. The problem is that we then diverted to do the things that are not the right things, right? Mm. So we, we need to be that voice. When this happens, we speak about and say, this is the solution. Mm. Every single one. You know, the people listening to this, and if they agree with what they're saying, even for them to, to speak to their, their close people, their families, their children, and explain what the solution is and what it means to work, that is work in itself. You understand? No one's saying grab an AK-47 or a, or a Bata Chapel or something and, and travel to Pal Palestine and you're liberated. Like that. No, no. You play your part with which whatever's, you know. For example, the armed forces, they have a different capability than what we do. Our capability is to speak. And, and one thing, uh, and just go to your fear, is that even something as small as making sure your kids know the reality of Al-Aqsa, mm -hmm. Philistine, that kids, when I'm gone, never ever accept this illegal state of Israel. Mm. Never, whatever you do in the future. Very important. Very never important. accept it. And tell your children that. And they, they will tell their children that. Well, remember, just, sorry to interrupt. Remember when we were in um, a university together and there were some quite young brothers who didn't really have that same attachment to Palestine that they should do. And again, not no fault of their own, but maybe their parents hadn't explained to them. Maybe the media and Western media narrative had got to them. And there was even this one brother going, oh, well, surely the, the Jews have a right to that place as well. And the Muslim brother, oh, surely, you know, where are they supposed to live then? So rather than having seen or been 
the, the Islamic narrative and the correct narrative explained to them, they didn't know. And so I think we, that point, Maj, is really, really important. Yeah, well, Afi. Yeah, I just wanted to build on um, something that Rashi was talking about earlier. I think, you know, we, we've, we've talked, perhaps, you know, perceive it, it would be perceived as negatively about the reaction to events like Palestine and how the Ummah is being di- diverted. There's a lot of good that is happening. And like Rash is saying, there's a revival occurring. It's a, it's, it's a visible revival. You can sense it. You can see it. The Kofar Khan and these other obstacles are being put in place. We're heading in the right direction. And I think the confidence that I want to give to people listening is once we complete that revival, very, very quickly, you're going to start seeing these problems that we're suffering from, uh, we're facing now, starting to get fixed because we've got massive resources. You know, like we said, the 2.5 million army, the 3.2, uh, 5.2 million standing army, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the military might that the Ummah has. This is greater than the Ummah has had historically at any time. The people, the, uh, the, the wealth, the resources, the strategic uh, lands, uh, the lands where, where, where we're located. And on top of this, with the correct belief, no one will be able to challenge us. If you look at what happened in history with what uh, Salahuddin Ayyubi, the resources that he had and the results that he achieved. If you look at Mecca, the Muslims being persecuted, moving to Medina, where again, they had very little, they didn't have much. But this small state of people who believed in the correct idea went on to then rule half the world, right? And, And within eight years, they went and then conquered Mecca which at that time would have been seen as the regional superpower. Mm. And, look at, and, and that's starting from relatively nothing. But with those with the resources that we have, once they just come under the correct control, very quickly you'll see that the, the face of the situation of the Muslims will be completely different. And I think the enemies of Islam appreciate that as well. This is part of the issue. So like you gave the example of like the conquest of Mecca and things like that is I think the the enemies of Islam recognize that the Muslims have within them and in their territories and in their lands and their militaries a huge strength and they fear that. And that's more reason to for them to instigate their plans and their plots in order to keep us divided. In order, and whether that be physically through military, whether that be intellectually through ideas and and their foreign policy, or whether that be through their agents within our lands and the hypocrites who are still there. Remember, the hypocrites were there at the time of the Prophet and the hypocrites are still here now who are given positions of influence, given places where they can spout the message that is from the from the enemies but do so as if they are speaking off on behalf of Muslims. And what that does is, yes, we have all of those physical capabilities. Yes, we have all of these vast resources. But part of the problem is we have all of these people working against us. But the positive is, as our knowledge increases, as our revival increases, it's more and more easy to see who those hypocrites are. Because... All of a sudden, someone who now doesn't support the Palestinian cause or does not recognize that the solution to Palestine is liberation, then it's easier to identify that person as part of the problem rather than part of the solution. 
Whereas when our understanding was weaker and we were more declined, then maybe we would have taken certain solutions on board from them, like the two-state solution and things like that. And I think that's part of the revival and that understanding of where the problem lies. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it was uh, it wasn't longer when MBS mm. told the Palestinians to shut up. Yeah, and and these are the ones who are uh, protecting and and they are on the front line of oh, uh, of Masjid Al Aqsa. If it wasn't yeah. for them, then uh, this would have been lost. Well, guys, inshallah, at, you know what? Um, yeah, you sorry. make your point. Rash. Yeah, just your really point. quick ones. And look at those people who were supporting um, Saudi and and previous kings and stuff like that. And they'll still make excuses, bro. They they will still make excuses, but are they not very quiet now? Where are their brazen ways of going? Oh, okay, you need to support these rulers. Since MBS came on the scene. Certainly I've witnessed it. I may be in a minority, I'm not sure. But those ones that were so brazen before about supporting these leaders, they've quietened down a little bit. And that's because other people question them. They go, wait there a minute. You're supporting these same leaders that are pushing Vision 2030, pushing secularism in our lands, pushing normalization with Israel. There was a group that I was in. And again, the, the brothers didn't have any leg to stand on because as soon as all of this started kicking off, they went very, very quiet. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Inshallah, let's, let's hope that they, uh, not that they stay quiet. Let's hope they start uh, speaking to wake again, up. To, to wake up, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I mean, the point I was going to uh, say before that, that that good point you made there, Rash, was that um, we could probably speak about this for ages. Hmm. Um, but we've mentioned a lot of things. We've spoken about a lot of things uh, to sort of like bring it together um, and to sort of like bring the podcast to to some sort of an end. Uh, I think it's important to maybe clarify a few of the main points that you want the uh, listeners and those viewing to take away. Um, so what I'll do is, inshallah, is maybe probably go around and just get your final thoughts and and what the key messages you think that's important uh, and how you feeling and on on this matter and stuff like that. So uh, I'll start with Afi, um, bro. What was sort of like f- final takeaways from from the podcast? things you want the people to be thinking about who are listening to this podcast? I think a lot of the things that we've said are self-explanatory, so I don't want to repeat anything that uh, we've already talked about. The only thing I would um, add is our success as an Ummah and as individuals and our failure as individuals and as an Ummah is in how we understand and how much of Islam we apply. Uh, that, that is clear. That's uh, that's what Allah tells us in the Quran. The victory and our uh, failure is linked to how much we follow the rules of what Allah and His Messenger have said. So, therefore, there's a responsibility on every individual to understand Islam and understand the solutions and how these solutions are applied. And there's a greater under, there's a greater responsibility on us as Dawa carriers to allow the Muslims to visualize the solutions. It's easy to say, this is the solution, this is the solution, when someone can't visualize it. So as Dawah carries, we need to break it down and, and, and bring people into the solution. Let, let them see the solution, let that solution be theirs. So there's a great responsibility on both sides, but both sides have to be willing to, to, to reach that point together. And when that happens, Allah will fulfill his promise. He will give us the victory. You know, we will get the victory. And it, we've seen throughout history that that is exactly what's happened. Yeah, Jazakallah Bro, Rush. You know what's going to happen is the emotion will die down. 
as it inevitably does. You know, these Yahud, every Ramadan, they they increase their their actions against our brothers and sisters. We see it. And just and, you know, to mention, so, sorry, Rash, just to mention that in all of this, in all of this, no one's even mentioned that as soon as Ramadan started, uh, Gaza was starting to get bombed again. Bombed. Happens every single year, and imagine how brazen and arrogant we've already said it that they are willing to they they are doing this in the month of Ramadan, where in history it was the month of Ramadan the Muslims were at their strongest, at their most, you know, wanting victory for Islam, and yet what we see today, look at our situation today that. This is what happened. So my point was, you know, as the emotion dies down, because it inevitably will, will do. Ramadan will end. These things that happen in Al-Aqsa will, will stop for a period of time. We'll go back to our day-to-day lives. But my message is to make sure the emotion has instigated something and it made us want to do something. Don't let that die down. Because what will happen is then all of a sudden, another month, another few months, things get back to normal and we'll let things carry on the way they are unless we act unless we re- continue to raise awareness expose the the plots against the muslims highlight to muslims continuously what the solution is continuously the strength of the ummah and i think my main message is this one my main message is you know a lot of these like say the people who get um you know from the, the leaders point of view yeah, what sometimes people say is, oh, if, you know, America really strong, Israel really strong, they've got nuclear weapons, these kind of things. Oh, you know, we won't be able to stand toe to toe with them. I think we sometimes fail to appreciate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is on our side. SubhanAllah. Why is it that we're not willing to go? You know what? If we take one step in the right direction for this, the solution that Allah gave us, then maybe Allah will help us. Not just constantly be in fear and think, you know, oh, what if we get into this, into a war or something? And all of a sudden, what if we're defeated? You know what? We're not going to be defeated because Allah is on our side. And if we die in the cause, then we die a shaheed. So this is the this is that defeatist mentality and we need to get rid of it. And then also anybody who doesn't know about the Sykes-Picot agreement, read it, find out about it, then appreciate that our division that was done by our enemies is part of our downfall or was part of our downfall and our unity is going to be part of our strength and back to our success inshallah jazakallah man um normally you guys cover everything but i've got a few points to 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 sort of end with today the first thing would be that um obviously that in the podcast we can't cover everything so we've we've highlighted what the solution is and we've not you know been shy from that the solution for occupation is jihad fi sabilillah with the with the uh, the islamic armies by the islamic armies however there is processes there are stages of to get to that stage but what we want to do is get people to have that desire at least in their hearts to want to research and want to find out for themselves and i think that's key it's not us just us saying it it's important that what we want to do is just give you a bit of a taster so people can then go about and and put some effort in the same way we put effort in our degrees and and you know learning all this other stuff but to put efforts into this particular issue so we don't want to give you all the all the solution and every all the information in one podcast uh, as afi said every single person has a responsibility the other point i would say as an encouragement 
is that, uh, as Brother Rush said, certainly the Ummah from an revival point of view, from an Islamic point of view, from an understanding point of view, is better than it is, better than it was before. It's certainly on the way up. And as Muslims, what we need to understand is that if, if the Ummah is like a, a, a pot of water, okay, and it was freezing cold at one stage, so, you know, one little flame sort of like started, then another one and another one. And right now we're certainly on the way to boiling point. However, what's needed is every single one of us to become a flame, to work towards, to contribute in whichever way we can in our capacity, in our capability to get the ummah to boiling point. And then inshallah ta'ala, when we get to boiling point, things will change. But every single one of us has a has a role. And what we've got to understand is that the enemies are with they've got freezing water. They are putting water in actually subhanAllah this analogy can go on and on. I mean, what they're trying to do is they're trying to put they're trying to put out the flames, which is the people. But also, I said to you, the water is the ummah, isn't it? They've got people, hypocrites. Who you would look, who look like water? I look like the ummah, which is freezing cold, and they're putting it in the water to yeah. take it back to freezing point. Mm. We need to, <laughs> we need to see that, and we also need to become a flame. And the last point I'm going to mention, you know, we spoke about Salahuddin al Ayyubi, didn't we? Mm. We speak about the Ansar, we speak about these people. You know, probably Salahuddin al Ayyubi, Rahimahullah, he probably didn't realize how many people are going to speak about him after he died. During his life, he probably would not have thought that, you know, even now, 2021, we're speaking about him. Because obviously he weren't doing it for that anyway, right? But the point is, though, in future, you look back at history and then you evaluate and you judge. And I fear that if we don't change our course, if we don't all contribute, then in the future, when people, when Muslims and the Ummah are going to be reading the history books, this era, our era, is going to be the black era. It's going to be the dark days. It's going to be known as that time when the honor of the sister wasn't protected, when the holiest places were desecrated, and the ummah was so much in number, had so much might, yet they had wahan, yet they were just busy with their life. And uh, Spanlights. It's crazy when you think of it like that. And we don't want to be remembered in, in the future as that generation, man. You know, we want to be remembered like the generations of Salahuddin al-Yubi, the people of the past, not as those people who were disgraced and who just went with it. But inshallah, I'll end on, on, on that note, man. It's a sobering note, but it's something which is important. So brothers and sisters, for everyone who's listening, Really, you know, this goes beyond just Ramadan. As Rash said, don't let the emotion die. So many things are going to happen where it's going to like, they're going to bring out the fire extinguisher for our emotions to die. But don't let that happen. Masjid al-Aqsa is the place where our beloved messenger, sallallahu wasallam, he led the Anbiya in Salah. This is that place. Just think of this. When you're going to open your phone, and you're going to check WhatsApp and you're going to see messages, you'll see videos of, of grenades being thrown. You can see videos of sisters with bloody faces, with, with, with Muslims be, being beaten up. 
just think of this is the same place that our Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam led the Anbiya in Salah. If that doesn't pull your heartstrings, if that doesn't put tears in your eyes, I don't know what is going to. But this is a message first and foremost for ourselves and for everyone listening. We need to do this together. And just big, big, big Jazakallah Khair to my main man Rash, as always, and to brother Afi to take time out in this blessed month to join us on this podcast. And Jazakallah Khair to everyone watching and listening. Please support the cause. Subscribe to the Voice of the Ummah YouTube page, Facebook, Instagram. Join the Telegram group. And let's do this together, inshallah ta'ala. So, brothers, Jazakallah Khair and salam to you guys. And to all the viewers and the listeners at home, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.